Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Welcome to the Wagon Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kimber. On this show, we record weekly with questions from the audience. This podcast is funded by Patreon, which you can join by clicking a link in the show notes. And there are many other benefits, but one of which is to ask questions first on this show. Jake says, Rajasthan are playing two home games in Guwahati and Punjab two in Dharmashala. I think these are the only two um uh, taking games elsewhere. Is this just teams into the smallest markets trying to grow elsewhere or is there any coordination with the BCCI? Um, look, I haven't talked to anyone, Jay. It's a very good question. I would assume that it will be something we will see more often. And I think there is a chance, especially before there are 15 or 20 franchises or 25 or 30, depending on how far the BCCI go, of getting some fan bases outside. And I think you're right. I think two of the smaller teams uh, in, in two of the smaller markets, I should say. Um, it, it's funny, when I say small city, Indian fans get really upset. But what I mean is small markets compared to the other ones. And of course, you know, uh, Wellington is a big market in New Zealand, but it's not a big market in other places. And we kind of mean the same for these sorts of teams, and those sort of small small market teams. I, I think it makes sense. I, I think it's a good move early on to get yourself out there, you know, to try and build some fans up in other places. Um, I think for the league, it also makes a lot of sense. Sorry if you can hear my daughter screaming in the background. Um, I think for the league, it makes a lot of sense too, just to get it out there, get it playing, um, uh, you know, move it on, um, uh, you know, develop it in other places. I, I, I'm in Australia at the moment. The AFL is playing a, a, a whole round of games in Adelaide. Those sorts of things, you know, they work and, you know, they do help, um, you know, build new fan bases and everything else. And I would I would think that the BCCI, BCCI would be silly if they didn't think about those sorts of things when they were planning. Nivek says, which Olympics do you think we would see cricket feature? Uh, does it help in taking the game more global than now? Brisbane's probably the obvious one. Um, yes, it would be huge. I, I think the people who argue against cricket going to the Olympics are the people who say things like, oh, there's too much cricket already. Yeah, there is. If you're, you know, a straight, uh, straight sexuality doesn't matter as far as I'm aware. Although perhaps in the future it might in the Olympics, but um, no, if you're a, uh, you know, a, a male from a major nation, probably straight, but male from a major nation, there is way too much cricket. If you're anyone else in cricket, there probably isn't enough cricket. There probably isn't enough women's cricket. There probably isn't enough associated cricket. There certainly isn't enough disability cricket. 
Olympics helps with all those things. It means that governments around the world have to put a little bit more funding into the sport. It means that places who are already doing well, like let's say, I don't know, the Brazilian women and the Thai women, um, Namibian men, you know, Papua New Guinea men and women, there's more funding available for them. You know, it is a big problem. Uh, sponsorship becomes a big deal. The Olympics want the Indian men's team, right? The same way that, you know, back in the old days of basketball, they, they wanted the dream team. You know, they want the, the eyeballs and everything else. They probably want the Indian women's team now as well. But what we will get from that is huge. I think then you can play just a World T20, uh, a World Cup of the T20 just every four years and play at the Olympics in the other one. I think that's more than fine. I think that's a good way forward, if we're being honest. I should say, Vivek, too, there is a video that we have done about the Olympics. Uh, I probably did it two or three years ago. HW341 says, who would you rather have as your top six in a hypothetical test match? Let's say it's held at Lords. Sachin, Ponting, Callis, Dravid, Cook, and Dengikara, uh, the all-time test run scorers, or Bradman, Voges, Pollock, Headley, Sutcliffe, and Smith, all-time averages. Well, I mean, Voges is the odd man out there, isn't he? Pollock also didn't play as many tests, and even Headley's career is probably shorter than it should have been. So I don't think, I mean, the aggregate runs is really, really important, but I, it really depends on what your cutoff is, right? So for you to get Voges and Pollock into this list, it probably means that your um, your cutoff is quite low, is my guess. Right? Obviously, if you did that at, I know, let's say 3,000 runs or something along those lines, it would be slightly different. But Bradman... Headley and, and Polly, um, I don't want to disregard him because I think he was a fantastic player, but obviously we didn't see enough of him, um, you know, playing. And you could argue Headley just because of the war as well. But Bradman, Sutcliffe and Smith are certainly all-time players. And I don't think, uh, let's have a look, who've we got? Sachin, Ponting, Callis, Dravid, Cook and Sangakara. So Bradman obviously fits, fits into that quite easily. Sutcliffe is a better opener than Cook. You, I think you'd, be fair to say, and Smith, I'd have Smith over, let's say, Ponty um, and Dravid probably in that list. So, and they're both fantastic players as well. So I'm not sure it quite says what you wanted to say, and it really doesn't matter when you you cut off that the aggregation uh, model. And and if you think about it, two of the players I talked about in that list, Headley and Pollock, I think both of them could have been, you know, two of the top six players of all time, but we didn't see enough of them. They weren't tested in enough different conditions. Uh, you know, war and apartheid sort of, um, you know, sliced both of them out. So um, uh, in that case, it's a little bit tricky uh, to be able to do that. Uh, that. But it's a, it's a fun game. Nice question. Uh, who have we got here? Manon says, if the Gujarat Titans play a four, five, six, seven of uh, Pandya, Miller, um, Shanika and Swatia, is any total safe with Rashid as the cherry on top? No, it's good. Uh, look, I, I've said before that I thought Mumbai built a mini dynasty. Dynasty, I suppose. Um, I can't remember. I don't know. In the IPL, what we count, I suppose it is a dynasty because of how few, um, how few uh, tournaments we've had so far. Um, based on that, you know, Pandia, Pandia, um, Pollard, middle order, I think in franchise cricket, that's almost more important. I think you can have sort of four run-of-the-mill. I don't mean that in a bad way, but Rohit Sharma, Quinn de Kock, um, not, not that they're not fantastic players, but, you know, they're not Chris Gale, for instance. You know, they're not ex explosive in that sort of other way um, that, that certain open, you know, openers have been. But you don't need that if you have that four, five, six, seven 
who's very strong because you can get away with the other players all playing at a strike rate of, you know, seven, seven and a half, eight runs. Over. Then you get to the middle and you can completely explode. Whereas you see in franchise cricket, quite often that's where it all falls apart. So I think that's a huge um, thing um, from that perspective. I'm not too worried about the chasing aspect of it. I'm not sure if there is a hairier sport than cricket. From the early greats WG Grace and the demon Fred Spotheth onwards, cricket has always been Hasut, Boom, Gooch and Dev with their upper lip work. Shoab and Imran's incredible manes, not to mention Lily's incredible chest rug. Our sport loves curated hair, and so does Manscaped. They just look after the bit that you can't see. So if you want a cricket-inspired downstairs pubic mustache, we can think of no item better than the Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped. Whether you're steaming in from the ladies' end or mounting a strenuous rear guard, always put your trust in Manscaped, who will look after your lower order. So go to manscaped.com and buy their kit with my red inker code, all one word, and get yourself 20% off and make yourself 20% sexier. Satchmo says, why did the West Indies go from dominant to mediocre in test cricket in the space of just a few years? And why have they never climbed back to the top? Um, they, they stopped. Uh, being consistently good in test cricket means that you need a great test bowling line. They went from having Ian Bishop as their first change bowler, you know, Patrick Patterson as their first change bowler, Joel Garner as the first change bowler, Malcolm Marshall as the first change bowler, Courtney Walsh as the first change bowler, to Nixon McLean. Um, uh, who else did they have? You know, just bowlers just nowhere near that level. And so Curtly and, and Courtney were so good that they actually carried that team for a little while and had Ian Bishop. He, Ian Bishop might have been almost I, th- I think he was a more complete bowler than those two. I'm not sure he would have been a better bowler, but I think he was a more complete bowler than those two. Uh, I think he could have done something absolutely fantastic in his career um, had he ever been fully fit because he kind of had every skill that you needed, you know, height, swing, seam, accuracy. But we never saw the best of him, realistically. Uh, but I think he would have been fantastic. But after Ian Bishop, who's their third best bowler consistently? You know, I'd have to go back and have a look at the numbers, but there's no one really. Um, you know, a lot of guys who weren't up to it, a lot of guys who were probably more fringe first-class players, they obviously never had a spinner. That was the major part of it. Batting wasn't as bad. You know, Jimmy Adams, Jim Noren Chanderpaul, Brian Lara, even guys like Sherwin Campbell. There's a lot of good role, uh, Phil Simmons, a lot of good role player, tight level players, plus, you know, two or three. Um, Carl Hooper was still around for a long time as well. So batting wasn't quite the issue that bowling was, but bowling was uh, a huge issue. And, they, you know, look at Roddy Eswick's first-class bowling average. You know, I don't think he ever got that close to the test team. I think he averages 21 in first-class cricket. They just weren't producing players like that um, in that next period. But if you want the overarching reason, essentially what happened was the West Indian players were the first almost accidental professionals. Uh, first, first through the league system in England, then the county system, then Kerry Packer system. That group of 15, 20, 25 players that sort of came through that were the first professionals in cricket. They played all year round. They took it as a job. They were very, very smart. They had an incredible physiotherapist. They were very fit. Um, you know, all these different things that they needed to be. And there was backups, right? As I said, there were backups on your backups. You know, the, the fast bowling crop was absolutely remarkable for what fifteen year period. Once that dropped off, they just didn't have anything. But also, it's I don't think it's a coincidence that the point at which the West Indies drop is when Australia becomes the most professional team intentionally. You know, and that's I don't want to slag off the West Indian players because I thought what they did was brilliant. But the West Indies board didn't make the West Indians professional. They went off and did that on their own, and they brought it back. 
The Australians, following the AFL model and a little bit of the Olympic model, made the actual team professional. Every team started to copy the Australian method after that. West Indies were left in the dust um, and and things moved on. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it, it's a very big shame. In some ways, I've said this before, if you go through the whole history of West Indies cricket, too much of their cricket has relied on overseas leagues or organizations or money developing their players. It's very, and we sort of seen the exact same thing happen with T20 cricket. When the other teams catch up, the West Indies drop off again. And it's a real shame because there's nothing wrong with the talent there and there's nothing wrong with the passion there. Ian says, having just bought tickets for a hundred double header at Trent Bridge, women's and men's, uh, do you think the men's and women's tournament will separate? Um, do you think it will uh, remain for the foreseeable future? Well, it's an accident, the 100 being together. I think it was a COVID thing that meant that they ended up being together. Um, the idea, as far as I am I was always aware, was they were going to be completely separate, a bit like how the Big Bash was done, because they were copying the Big Bash, right? So much of the 100 is is copying the Big Bash. Um, early on, anyway, in the planning, it's different now. But, you know, that early period, they hired someone from the Big Bash to come over and tell them what to do. They hired two people, Trent Woodhill as well. So that was the idea of having it separate. They accidentally had it together and it worked quite well. I think you'll probably have a few um, marquee games and uh, they're separate. But I think as it stands at the moment, it's a good day out. It's weird because, you know, T20 cricket, the old idea is, oh, it only works if it's three and a half hours long and all this sort of stuff. But actually, doubleheaders, especially in England, work really well. And, and I think people, I think fans really liked it. It's, it's an awkward day. So for those who don't know, it, it's it's tricky for the press because if you're trying to file on the first game, you miss the second game. And the same thing happens on finals day, by the way. So on finals day is an absolute mess. Um, it's tricky for the players if the first game gets delayed or anything, or if there's rain um, or slow over rates. Um, I I covered a game at the MCG that was a double header, and the first game had a super over. All these sort of things are really really awkward and tricky, and. You know, the women sometimes feel like second-class citizens because of the way they're treated and they're, you know, shipped out early, all that sort of stuff. It's all true, um, everything there, but it does seem like in England that is a good mix at the moment. And, you know, the fact that you've bought tickets in and you want to go see both kind of tells you why it's going to happen for a while. I don't think it will happen forever. I, I should say, I don't think it will, the majority of games will happen forever. Gary, is there any chance of seeing the impact player rule leading to reemergence of the specialist wicketkeeper role, or is there not enough extra value to be gained there? So I don't think we're going to see specialist wicketkeepers until we have proper fielding data. When we have proper fielding data, we may see specialist wicketkeepers. And the only other time we will do it is if they follow my idea of having 13 or 15 players in the squad uh, that, that can play in the 11 at any time, then you might pick a specialist wicketkeeper. I don't think you would do it for the impact player rule, unless you happen to have a team. Chennai might be a perfect example. Not that they would have to do it with Tony, but Chennai have three spinners who can all bat, so they don't need to sub any of those spinners out of the game. And then what you might say is, well, what we really want is a wiki keeper um, who is a specialist wiki keeper in that situation uh, for all of our different spinners. There's a possibility um, if you had a lot of spinners, you might do that. Or a lot of medium, you know, Benny Al. Ian Harvey, you know, Rahul Bhatia type bowlers, you know. Again, you might see something like that, but I doubt it. Graham says, does Harsha Patel and Adam Zampa um, fail man-cap attempts? Although funny, actually proved that there is some skill involved in this. It's funny, someone 
what else maybe i remember the first time i tried to do a man cad and i got it completely wrong look it's it's not a huge skill thing i'm not i don't think we'd ever pretend that it is you know the most skill dependent thing in cricket or anything like that but there's a timing element to it and you know there is a skill to it and also if you don't want to make yourself look stupid there's there's certainly a part of that as well so yeah i do think there is a i do think there is a some skills involved but it's not the same skills as bowling a leg break or off cutter or although an off cutter is pretty easy for being honest i find off cutter is pretty easy uh, Bloody Bugger says, in Sri Lanka, some school cricket matches such as Battle of the Blues, uh, Battle of the Maroons, get big crowds and are sometimes broadcast on t- TV. Do other countries have something similar? All I know is the controversial Eaton versus Harrow at Lords, but I get the impression that the crowd is somewhat smaller. Yeah, certainly these days, Eaton Harrow is a lot smaller. Has it ever been on TV? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I would assume it has been brought, certainly highlights of it. Maybe before the days it was on, you get huge crowds at Eaton versus Harrow. There's also the Oxford versus Cambridge game. Um, there are obviously school games in South Africa that are very important. I don't think they would touch the Sri Lankan games. I am trying to think of anything else that is similar. I I don't know of any off the top of my head. Um, I mean, the Sri Lankan game is very special. It's not as special when you look at the world of sports because there are certainly things like that in sport that are uh kind of very, very well attended, despite the fact that they are, you know, very localised, um, you know, college, all American college sports is a very ex- a good example of that. The, is it Oxford-Cambridge um, boat race would probably be another one. So there are things like that within sport um, outside of Sri Lanka. I can't think of it. There's certainly nothing like the Sri Lankan schools cricket game, but there are big schools cricket games in other places, but not to that level. I don't believe. I can't think of any schools games that are televised or that get, you know, sell out crowds. I mean, the Shanka ones are incredible because it's not, it, it's bigger than the internationals. That's the interesting thing about it. And that's where, it, to me, it feels a, a little bit more like, you know, a, a college game getting um, in America, getting a bigger crowd than an NBA game, um, you know, and part of it to do with, you know, the backstory and all the people who went to the school and everything else. And, you know, it's quite a big deal. But it is, I think it's still a remarkable thing. Josh says, why for review do third umpires ask the TV director to rock and roll it or swap to a different angle? Can't they just give the third umpire access to a mouse so they can scroll through themselves? Josh, this feels like a man who's never met an umpire. Um, look, I'm an editor and I'm sure I could work it out quite quickly, but there is a lot of equipment and a lot of screens and a lot of angles and everything. Um, if we're expecting umpires to do that, uh, I think, Madam Collins has been quite clear that umpires should be specialist third umpires. They should be trained in it, be doing it all the time, and it is a specialist job, and it's silly for the ICC not to go down this path. However, even if they were specialist umpires, I would say that they would still need someone else there, a technician of some sort or another to help them. Uh, there are probably some umpires who could do it, but I think there are a lot of umpires who couldn't, and they're not there because of their technical knowledge. Of course, they are there because of their decision making and you know their ability to see things as an umpire and you know their training as an umpire and everything else. So, look, I get what you're saying, and I don't think I disagree with it uh, at a certain point. But you know, <laughs> I would say this: there are a lot of umpires in the world of cricket who, if they didn't have an ICC email address, would still be using Hotmail. Not sure those are the people you want in charge of technology. Um, as we've seen from certain cricket commentators over the years trying to use technology on the screen. And also, just as a separate uh, thing, the amount of 
people, uh, uh, you know, it's necessarily saying he's a very, very smart former player. Um, someone changed his desktop picture on his computer one day and he had to ask me to come over and fix it. I'm just saying these are not the most technologically gifted, you know, and editing software and camera angles and everything. It's a, it's a next step. You're not wrong. They could learn it. But I think we'd be better off getting specialists and still having a technician there. Josh says, would it be harder for an 80s batter to face current era wobble ball or for a current player to face 80s era reverse swing with a tampered ball? Well, up until recently, most, most of the current players who play now would have faced reverse swing with a tampered ball. So it'd be much harder for the 80s player to uh, face a wobble ball. I would have thought the 60s and 70s players, when there were still uncovered wickets around, would probably have dealt a little bit better with a wobble ball than the, the current uh, crop uh, or than the 80s and 90s crop would have. But yeah, I mean, reverse swing still exists. So it's very different than wobble ball and all the different changes. But I think the 80s batters, the biggest problem isn't the wobble ball, although this, I suppose eventually it is, but it's really the DRS and you know the lengths are completely different and everything else is completely different. No one matter has never faced a bowler bowling reverse swing at their toes before or their knee roll, whichever uh, length that you do. In fact, if you go back and watch a lot of the old reverse swing, it was a lot more Yorkers bowled and now it's a lot more of the knee roll. So I'd say that when reverse swing has been bowled, it was probably bowled better in this era then than it was in the original one. Um, but yeah, no, there was certainly tampering in the 80s and tampering up until up until COVID really, but uh, I think Australia um, shocked everyone there. All right, let us get a quick ad, and then I'll come back, and I will just have a look and see if we have anything in the Super Chat. You're listening to The Wagon Wheel or watching The Wagon Wheel. I'm The Wagon Wheel. I'm Jared Kimball on The Wagon Wheel. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that you can stay close to your team even if you don't live in their town. Like, maybe you're a Raven who married a Seahawk who got a job in the land of the Falcons. With NFL Sunday Ticket, you can watch your team's out-of-market Sunday afternoon games no matter where you live because you shouldn't have to change teams even if you change towns. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Um, Harrit says, why is the current crop of Indian batters weak against spin? They, they barely rotate strike. Our current spin is better. Uh, the current Indian players are not bad against spin. They're very good against spin away from India. In India, everyone's bad against spin because the pitches are juiced. <laughs> if you've got your bowlers averaging in the teens, um, that's not an accident. And, and and once you do that to the wickets, you bring the opposition spinners in as well. And India would say that they, and with their win-loss ratio, I think it's fine to say this, although they had a good win-loss ratio before they started juicing their wickets for the spinners, they would say that we back ourselves to make, you know, extra runs and, you know, be fair, Rohit Sharma and their tail have probably saved them a few times. Well, not, well, in Rohit's case. No, saved them probably is. Maybe saved is the wrong term. They have propped them up at times. And they'd say, well, okay, is the other team going to have a Rohit Sharma? Is the other team going to have a tail that can play spin as well? No. Okay, then, you know. I made a video about this, Harrit. If you want to go find it, it um, you know talks a lot about the fact that I think they're bringing in unnecessary risk, uh, and I think they're just, I think they're just a normal Indian wicket that spins. You know, Ashwin and Jadeja would absolutely dominate, and Akshar would absolutely dominate. So I'm not sure why you need to change that at all. But yeah, a, a, your whole rotate strike thing. It's hard to rotate strike when the you know ball is pinging around everywhere, and if you notice it, it's the top order where the bigger problem is when that ball was hard and is bouncing and spinning quickly, that's when all the problems have come about. So, um, yeah, it's, it would be hard. There is no player in the history of cricket 
who would be facing the current bowlers at the speed they bowl with the kind of deliveries and the uh, all the stuff they've learned from all the old great old spin bowlers over the years on these pitches with DRS, who would not be struggling. It's hard to use your feet to modern spinners. The angles, the feeling, uh, what we know about batters, what shots they're going to play, all these different things come in. It's hard to play and spin now. And if you juice the wickets, it's really hard. Roy, do you think Linton Dust can be picked in the first 11 today against some... Um, look, I haven't looked at that. Look, Linton Dust, I, I said this beforehand, Roy. Look, I get the bungler connection and... I understand he can keep and that he's a changed cricketer, but it did feel to me like it was a bit of a pull for them to suddenly decide that Linton Dust was going to be an IPL player. I think they've got him in the nets and they went, okay. Also, no th- fault of his own. He was in a great run of form and then he, you know, struggled against England massively. So, uh, you know, he may not be as confident as they would have wanted him to be coming in there. I still like him. They've tried, I'm trying to remember. They tried three different openers so far, or four different openers. So at a certain point, you might as well give him a bat, right? But uh, I haven't looked at this particular game. All right, I can hear my daughter screaming, so I'll get to Chirag. Chirag says, are there any numbers to back up Ashwin's repeated promotion in the uh, Royals lineup? Or is it they have faith in Ash and are awaiting a master stroke? It's, there are numbers, but it's kind of tricky to explain it. Basically, they realized that they had a short batting lineup. And they need to elongate their batting lineup. And so they are using a player who is quite good at rotating spin and can occasionally hit spin a long way to be able to do that. Ashwin is of no use to them at the end of the innings, more often than not, because it's very hard for him to come in and hit six straight away, especially against seeing ball. What Ash can do is rotate against spin quite well and occasionally hit spin. And also he'll just walk off the field if he, he feels he's not doing it. So it does make sense from that perspective um, to play that particular way. Uh, I'm From a numbers perspective, I would assume, and I, I did a piece on Ash playing as a pinch blocker last year, but my memory is he's a much better player on spin than he is pace. So from that perspective, if that's the numbers you're looking at. I remember someone from Rochester contacted me last year and said, how do you think we're going? I said, well, Josh Butler's going to have to make a thousand runs for you to be any good. Just Butler nearly made a thousand runs, and they were very good. It's not a, it's not a equal lineup, and I think that's the best way to put it. Anyway, I'm going to cut it short today. Sorry about that to everyone, uh, but I think my order needs her bed. Um, but huge fan, uh, huge fan, huge thank you to everyone for dropping on and coming through. And I think I've got, I think I've got one more from Australia. I might have to skip next week. I don't even know what day I'm recording next week. Um, I might have to go early next week. One more from Australia. Um, so one more uncovered and one more wagon wheel from Australia. And they'll be back in the UK and everything will be normal or as normal as I can ever be. But huge shout out to everyone for coming in today and asking questions, especially to you super chatters like um, Chirag and everyone else who, who did that. And uh, please help us out by you know supporting our sponsors and everything else. And I'll see you again next week. Thanks for listening to Wagon Wheel on 99.94. Remember to download our app or just search for 99.94 where you find podcasts or on YouTube. This show has an ad-free version via Patreon, which also allows you to ask questions before anyone else and many other extras as well. There is a link in the show notes. And if you want more content, well, I have good news for you because we have a lot of things. You can follow us on YouTube where we make all kind of crazy stuff like the complete history of New Zealand opening batters and how Kagisa Rabada was dismissed from a zombie ball. 
We do a similar thing on TikTok. I also have an emailer that sends out a couple of columns a week, and we run another podcast called Double Century on the History of Cricket. This podcast is hosted by me, Jared Kimber. It is produced by Nick McCorriston. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia producing podcasts, Maida Akam producing some of the shows, and Makanda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Sports Social Podcast Network.